Heather, are you ready? As ready as I'm going to be. All right, Ty, you ready? Always. Time out. Tyler, who are we taking a time out with today? Ladies and gentlemen, up in the 585, we have Heather the Wolfpack Smith today, the CEO at Velocity. Heather, thanks for joining me and Kevin on episode who knows what of uh, Time Out with Leaders. Good to have you. We just came off Thanksgiving break, and I just got to know, what is your favorite Thanksgiving side? Oh, favorite. Uh, it's got to be the stuffing. Ah, I could yes. forego the turkey, but the, the stuffing... All right, now the debate, what's in your stuffing? Because stuffing, I have now realized, is a broad term in the face. It is a very broad term. So (laughs) I like my the way my mom used to make stuffing, which probably because there's a ton of butter in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So bread, sage, and butter, little onion is... Oh, see, all right, basic. See, I go to my my wife's. I'm not gonna now. They don't listen to the show. I'm pretty sure, but if they do, that's okay too. But they put sausage in it, and it just it's good. But I like the traditional stuffing, like you're saying right now. Lots of butter, simple breadcrumbs. Yes. Yeah, just don't overcomplicate it, right? Correct. Correct. All right. Well, that's good. At least you didn't pick the cranberry sauce. I didn't know where. Oh no. Pick that. No, we actually in our in our family we have this debate over the cranberry sauce. Some bring the can just to just to kind of irritate the people that it has to be the fresh, right? So you can see the line around the yes. from the can. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the debate in our family. Do you actually make it? And I'm always like one or two people eat it out of everybody. So right, right. I go through the trouble. All right. Well, Heather, I know you got a, a decent drive out to the office, out to the velocity when you're when you're driving. And you got to pick up that one, that one tune. You're going in for the first big meeting of the day. What's the one tune that you listen to that really gets you, I guess, in the zone? Oh, it's a great question. I would say my go-to is everything's going to be all right. Kenny Chesney. Um, that's one of those, like, when you're having a bad day, it can pick you up. And when you're having a great day, it can make it even better. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. that's like Margaritaville for me with uh, Russell. Yeah, that's Pitt, a good one. Margaritaville, yeah, that the the imagery of your feet in the sand. That's uh, that's all I need. That's oh, got yeah, a good little beat to, to it. <laughs> okay, well, Heather, what I wanted to know was off the high dive, right? We ask every CEO this: um, high dive at the Webster Pool, um, where a play, every, you know it's a place worth living. Are you coming to off the high dive in a cannonball pencil or a swan dive? Oh, okay. Uh, I would say Cannonball. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're like nine, 90 out of 90. CEOs only do Cannonballs. All right. All right. <laughs> and movers. like to hear that. We have you know, no dice. We want to make a big splash. That's what it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I absolutely love it. Heather, what's one quote you would put on 390 or 490, um, maybe in the can of worms area? that everybody would have to drive by to and from work. What would be that one quote that you would put on one of those billboards? Um, well, I have, I actually have a quote in my office and I won't be able to, to in my Medina office, I won't be able to quote specific, you know, specifically, but the end of it is, you know, the, the way you make, the way you lead people and you make them feel is your trademark. Oh yeah. I love that. And I would say that that's something that I live by my entire life. I didn't know there was a quote about it until, you know, a couple of years ago, but yeah. uh, that's, I, that really resonates with me. I absolutely. 
And I, I'm going to ask a crazy off the cuff question because I think it's in the same, that's, that's kind of how I think why Tyler and I get along, right? It's how you make somebody else feel. You have really no idea on how they'll take that. Um, I was talking about uh, the women's empowerment event that you, you did. I mean, that one message that you shared or anybody else shared that, that, that was the one thing they needed to hear. You have no idea how you changed their trajectory. I have this distorted view because I lost a buddy at 27, but I said, I want my funeral packed. I don't want people to, to, to not be, not want to come and see me ultimately. And I don't know if it was that end view that gave me like, how do I help one person or how do I help others and expect nothing in return? Yeah. Um, but what is it for you? What motivates you to really give without expectation? Because I think that's true leadership and we're starting to see it more and more when you can intentionally give somebody something that they need or want, or they can't even envision for themselves, but ultimately you expect nothing in return. I, I, I would have to give my parents credit for that. I think that's the way that, that we were brought up. Um, it was never a discussion of, okay, if you think you deserve a raise, go in and ask for it. It's show up, work hard, give it 200%. And, and the world's going to give back to you what you deserve, right? Mm. Um, and I think that my parents also modeled the way that they dealt with, with people. And I think I shared this on the panel a couple of weeks ago. You know, I, I remember speaking at my mom's funeral. One of the things that I said about her is that without exception, she treated everyone with the same level of respect. Absolutely. Whether they were the, you know, the valet driver at the, at the restaurant or, or someone that she's been friends with for 40 years. And, and everyone spoke the same way about her. And I think that's, um, that just kind of modeled how myself, my, my brother, and my sister were, were brought up and how we, we interface with other people. We want people, for me, it's so gratifying to have a conversation with someone and see a light bulb turn on. Yeah. Um, or they walk out a little more self-confidence than they walk confident than they walked in um, and they feel like they can take on the world. That's gratifying to me. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting. You bring up kind of the, the nurturing side of it too, is like that, that is a part of us. Right. And that's kind of what I saw. I always saw my dad open doors. My dad is like the most giving doing person and expects nothing in return. And you see that done enough. Um, and I think maybe that's missing with a lot of people. I'm excited about people wanting to give back and volunteer again and, and donate yeah. that stuff I was always doing because I wasn't getting it from my day job. Um, ultimately, that's really, really cool. Heather. Thanks for sharing that. I think the, the other thing is um, I had some really bad bosses, <laughs> right? uh, but I had the ability to uh, to learn from them what I didn't want to be. Yeah. You know, I remember working for someone when I was in my first management, real management role. And we were, it was a customer service center. And, and he walked out and in front of all of the agents was talking to someone else and said, any monkey could do this job. I've heard it. I've heard that. Yep. My job that day became never to let him out on the floor. <laughs> yeah. That, I kept him away, away from the employees because clearly he didn't see the value in, in what these people were contributing and yep. it was just going to be demoralizing to them. Um, but being able to recognize what you don't want to become, I think is oh, yeah. equally important as recognizing what you do want to become. 
I think that's why uh, Tyler and I started this show, maybe potentially. I mean, so <laughs> some of the influence we kept hearing about great leadership, but I didn't, I wasn't experiencing it myself. And it was kind of like, well, they got to exist because that we hear all the great things and we hear about great leadership principles and practices. And yeah, so I absolutely, I, I think I still have some PTSD, honestly, from some of those bad bosses, right? It's like you catch yourself doing certain things and you're like, wait, why do I even do this? Um, but it's, uh, and that's why I think a lot of us maybe second guess ourselves. We talked about it again on the panel about that imposter syndrome. That's something that I think if you work for somebody that is constantly compressing you um, to enrich themselves, it's, um, you don't really know what you're good at or what your gifts are, what your strengths are, because that's the potential that they're afraid of, I guess, in that position, ultimately. Yeah. I've, I've experienced yeah. it. I know you shared a little bit about it. Ty, what do you got? A lot, man. I got a lot over here. Um, but yeah, I was just, uh, just uh, two things. You know, I was thinking about uh, getting a bellyache on what I didn't want to be. You know, <laughs> I was very, that was painted very large for me in a few places, you know, which uh, I guess it did help. And, and, then, and then talking about treating people, right? I think that's the key to business. You know, if, if you teach your kids just to be good to people from day one, it's not going to be hard for them, I don't think, if they don't have any bridges burned and they have mega connections you know i wish someone would have told me that you know um kind of growing up that this is this is what it's about but uh i wanted to ask you you know before you were you you were a wolf pack member at the uh, north carolina university north carolina state that is yeah. who was heather heather smith who were you before college oh i was a i was a geeky teenager who didn't know what i wanted to do when i grew up <laughs> All right, and I guess when did when did you get the the hint that you were going to be a, a SVP to a CEO? Like when when did when did that trajectory start? Uh, well, I would say it was you know when I was at Unisys, um, I joined there as a customer service rep right out of college and didn't really know what I wanted to do, and um, I I knew based on based on the way that our parents brought us up that, you know, work hard and always work, I guess, present yourself for the, for, for the next job in your current job, right? Um, and I remember my, my first promotion was to a trainer job. And I, I actually, in college, I avoided any class, any class that required public speaking. Like I would read this, the syllabus of the class, like, okay, if I have to do a speech, I'm not taking that class. <laughs> I was definitely afraid of that. But I realized if I was going to have progress, I needed to get over that. So I applied for a trainer position. Well, 90% of that job is getting up in front of people, right? So, <laughs> and I guess that was probably a big turning point for me because I got the job and I, I had to, I had to get over that, that fear. Uh, but I think it it was early in my career that I realized, okay, I, I can do what I set my mind to, um, but you have to treat people right along the way, right? So that you you have you have people that will support you and advocate for you, and um, and I think I, I shared this at the the panel, Kevin, at the at the end, is that you know I'm also a firm believer that if if you're you set your sights on something, when the job opens up, it's kind of too late. You need you need to make sure that the people that can help get you there and help you do the development are aware that that's what you that's want. what you aspire to do, 
yeah. uh, before that role opens up so it doesn't come as a big surprise yeah and and i think i, I agree with that but I would say most people follow our traditional paths, Heather, where it's like, I always of the belief that my performance should speak for itself, right? You show up on time, you're never late. Tyler talks about when he worked for a company in Rochester and he would beat the CEO in and 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 leave at the same time the CEO was leaving and the CEO yeah. never said anything, right? Um, and it's like, you do those behaviors and, and you know the value that you're bringing to an organization, but yet the individuals above you um, don't seemingly, but everybody else around you and below sees that value and sees you as a leader, but above they do not. And it's it like, what does it take? I guess, where is it? Is it the wrong culture? Is it the wrong fit? Um, do you, I think you talked about this before. How do you get around that? How do you get around so you can still give yourself exposure to others so that you can still voice because I know a lot of people have these conversations with their managers, right? I would love a promotion if one opens up, but that manager never lets that employee know that that, that, that job is yeah. open because they don't want to backfill that position selfishly, right? And they don't want to train somebody else again in that way. And it's not really like a talent knowledge center business, right? It's hoarding of talent almost in certain departments. Yeah, and unfortunately that exists, right? And it's very short-sighted. Um, I, I would say... What I did in my career is I always looked for opportunities to get involved in task forces or if, you know, early in my career, this is back when, you know, diversity was, was kind of the new thing, right? Creating a diversity council. And I raised my hand and said, I want to be part of the diversity council. Hmm. Wasn't part of my job description, but I knew that was going to get me exposed to people that I wouldn't normally be exposed to. Got it. And, and it was a different way for me to contribute to the, to the company. So, because yeah, there are going to be those managers that are like, oh no, you're, you're too good at what you do. We can't afford to lose you mm -hmm. in that role, which is, which is really, really short-sighted. I think, I think the more that that happens, then you really need to sit back and say, is, is this the culture that I'm going to be able to thrive in? And the yeah. answer may be no. Yeah. yeah I, I got into a, 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 a conversation with a woman at the end of the panel a few weeks ago and she said uh, yeah I'm I'm she was in HR and she she said I'm trying to change the culture I really like what you said about I'm trying to change the culture but in this company you know they they just fired the CEO they just fired the CFO and she went down this whole litany and and I said you know a, a fish rots from the head down right yeah. and if if there if the, if you don't have leaderships the new leadership bought into that this this culture tra cultural transformation needs to happen. It will never happen. You will be swimming upstream, and it's time to go. Time to go look someplace else. Find a company that is a better fit with what you're what you're trying to accomplish, and what really makes you get out of bed in the morning. Absolutely, and I think if I had to do it over again, right? I think the questions I would ask in this interview, if I was to interview, right, would be totally different of the organization because I think. We can all say we want development and you want the the internal promotion or whatever, but ultimately you have to ask that company, how do you get me there? Um, because it's and it's it's a shared responsibility. That should not be the only expectation of the employee, um, because they have some of that responsibility as well. Mm -hmm. But the the easy answer is always yes, right? And I think that's how in those interviews that has traditionally gone. I would love to move up. What's your five-year plan, Kevin? Oh, I would love to be a manager in five years. Great. 
that's where the conversation really ended. And it doesn't get to, well, how do you help get me there? And what does that path look like? Because I think if people have to start to add those details and those insights, that's where individuals can learn. Um, are they for real or are they just saying what they need to say to help get me in the door? Um, I love how you put that though, is like, how else can I contribute? And it's almost as if, if we know human nature is to protect themselves and managers are protecting their team, it's almost as if we should change their incentive programs for internal promotions um, and the rate of internal promotions, because then that helps them to ensure that they're developing their team and individuals on individual members of their team. It's kind yeah, of a cool thing to think about. And I think healthy organizations that have a, a truly an employee-centric culture do that just by it's natural. Naturally. They're they're looking for that talent and, and how you can move people around and really take advantage of the talents that they have. Yeah. They may not be in the right position today. Yeah. To do because that becomes a win-win for the organization. If if your talents are better suited over here, even though you're really good at this, but if you're better suited over here, it's better for the organization. Absolutely. Uh, but there are some some management teams that just don't don't see it that way, right? Okay. They're, they're living for today, not for the future. Well, it's it's kind of fascinating too to think about. And Tyler and I were chatting about it. It was like college degree to that first career and really the career paths of what we've seen over the last 20. You, I, you can meet people that I have a biology degree and, and like people are shocked by that. I don't have a general business degree, right? Um, and I think that's just like fascinating because we're trying to, pair college degrees to job descriptions and it's just like a, a pseudoscience that doesn't really truly exist but yet we're here here we are made to believe that this is how it works just like the sat i always joke about the sat because yeah. it only told you how likely somebody would be successful in their first year of college I, the first year classes i was taking like music appreciation and theory right so that doesn't really tell you ultimately how successful somebody's going to be and that's how do you change the narrative? Like, what are some of your um, pivotal things that, because you've worked at some of the greatest names in Rochester, Xerox, right? I mean, yeah. what did you learn from good bosses, bad bosses, good cultures, bad cultures that you had to implement as CEO at Velocity to see this quick turnaround? What were some of those key items? I would say the, the number one was communication, communication, communication. Um, the... I walked into an organization that really they they never they didn't know what was going on with the company. Um, they didn't trust that what they were being told was the whole story because of what had kind of happened prior to to me joining. Um, and that and trust, you know, in that situation, when you walk into that kind of situation, it, trust is an earned thing, right? And it exactly. takes time. So. They they had to see that if I if I say X, X is going to happen. Yeah. If I if I say this is this is where we're headed in the next three months, we need to prove that's where we're headed in the next three months. And the more it, it can happen relatively quickly, but the the more that they see, wow, okay, what you see is what you get. Then then they they start to to trust. We had to we had to open up the lines of communication so it was two way. So, you know, we started off with one way where we needed to tell people what was going on with the company. And we had to be much more transparent about job openings because there was a lot of favoritism going on. 
so that we, we were posting every job opening. Everyone had an opportunity to, to apply. Um, and then, then we had to evolve into how do, we, how do we get more information from our frontline employees? Because yep. they know, they're living it and breathing it. They, they know where, where the skeletons are. Uh, so we we created, you know, in uh, Microsoft Viva Engage, we have, we used to be called the suggestion box, right? Every company has a suggestion box. Yeah. Some suggestions you get like one every three years. Some have cobwebs on them, but yeah. Right. <laughs> we made a simple change and we changed it to what's on your mind. I love that. And it's a, it's a jot form. They can go in and say, okay, I only, 100% of them come to me. Or I, I want this also to go to my direct manager, or is it a suggestion? Is it a complaint? Is it a concern? They could do it anonymously. They can put their name on it. Now we encourage them to put their name on it because nine times out of 10, when they don't, they put something out there and there's following questions and we don't know who to go to. Yeah. Um, and then it, it just creates a little bit more challenge, but we, once we change it to what's on your mind and gave them the ability to to you know kind of categorize what they were what they were bringing forward, we started getting these every week, um, and it was everything from hey Heather, are you aware that this is going on in this particular area? Or I have a suggestion for this. I mean, one of the easiest quick suggestions was hey for those of us that work in the office can we get a cell phone charging station in the break room? Oh yeah. That was the first suggestion that came in. Five minutes later, I was on Amazon. I ordered a charging station. It was there the next day. I went back to the employee saying, go charge your phone. Yeah. So it was, it, it was that immediate. And you, in. and you closing that communication because so many companies do that, right? They, they'll do the engagement study. They'll, they'll do all this work. They'll, they'll even make changes. They'll put new trash bins in the recycling area. They'll, but they never tell these people that these changes came from their feedback. <laughs> so exactly. they almost miss that return on investment. I hate to say that, but it yeah. is because it's, hey, you told us to do this. We did it. And so many people failed to close that communication loop, like you said, because that's really why you started getting more weekly. It's like, oh, they're actually doing something with this. So now yeah. it's not like the other company I used to work for where they didn't do anything with it. They're actually interested and motivated to empower, encourage, and enable my success by clearing the way and on some of these basic, simple, we've heard of it as like just uh, a, a keypad into the break room. So I don't have to walk around the building. It's just like, oh my God, well, why have, <laughs> it's like simple, simple things, like you said. And there's some, and, and you know, part of the messaging is we can't, I'm not going to think of everything. Correct. There are yeah. things that are getting in your way today that I don't know about, but if I know about it, I can do something about it. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and part of that too is, is trying to, I guess, trying to give an avenue for that kind of information so that we don't have it festering. Yeah. When employees talking to employees about, oh, can you believe this? Because they're talking to someone that can't fix the problem. Absolutely. So I could just imagine what those employees would say. It's like, I put it in the suggestion box to get a charging station. And on Amazon, they're $20. Can you believe that they won't get us a $20? And right. then all of a sudden, it's you don't care about them. And they're so cheap. And you and lose it, almost that um, snowball yeah. effect of negativity. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 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 So I think, you know, long answer to your question, but I, I think communication was the, the first thing we had to fix. 
Absolutely. And I can see it with being vulnerable to rebuild the trust. But once the trust was rebuilt through action, that made it feel more like a team. Um, I'm sure during some of those darker days, it felt like an individual sport in, internally just because of some of that favoritism. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, no. Yeah. Ty, obviously I could talk to Heather all day, um, but uh, I know you got some questions. Yeah, uh, when, when did you learn about the speed you were talking about? Like the next day, right? Because I think that's so important in a lot of things. I, I know so many successful people and I ask them what their secret sauce is and they're like, I respond to people right away. I'm like, good or bad news, you know, how, where did you learn that? And how important do you think that is? You know, especially that situation you just talked about, you know, someone puts in the drop box, what's on their mind, phone, phone charging station, you know, you go to your desk and do it right then living in the present. How, where did you learn that? And how important do you think that is? Uh, I probably learned it from working for companies where there was that suggestion box that had the cobwebs that you put something forward, nothing ever, <laughs> or they do, they do the employee satisfaction survey. And nothing ever, nothing ever changes. Um, mm -hmm. and I think I've worked for some very large global companies, and and it, it's the nature of that beast is it, the larger it gets, the more bureaucratic it's going to get, right? Mm -hmm. And decisions become it's got to be made by a committee, committee versus a person. Um, so, so a lot of this is is nothing more than saying, okay, what would I want? If I put in a suggestion, what would I would want to know? Did they read it, and are they going to do anything about it? And not not one hundred percent of them are going to we're going to be able to act on. Like I would like a fifty percent increase. Well, so would I. <laughs> right? Sure, so, coming right up. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but I think the other key part of communication is also also explaining the whys. Absolutely. So the answer isn't always going to be yes, mm -hmm. but if but the answer can't just simply be no. Mm -hmm. It has to be no, and here's why. Uh, mm -hmm. um, but it, you know, so so given the size of our organization, we have we have the luxury of being able to uh, be Ask. very agile and very very flexible. And you know what what I love about it, and I, I say this to even prospective clients, is we we've got the ability we can make a decision at ten o'clock implemented at 10 15 and if it was the stupidest thing we ever did we can reverse it at 10 30. yeah okay that's that's what i love because then your level of responsiveness that your employees see or or your clients see is is tangible right, right. i love that again yeah. is it isn't it what physics like you're talking about like a moving ball is easier to go left or right than a, a ball that's not moving yeah I'm, I'm an advocate for just do it and let's figure it out and if it's not really working whatever it's it's fun that way to me you know yeah. five dudes talking in a circle for like three days not doing it or three weeks yeah. not doing anything i'm an overanalyzer i'll be honest now i have to get 99.97 percent there to to do it and that's why i look for other people because i know that's a severe weakness of mine because i think there is some beauty in figuring it out because there's to heather's point there's things that you couldn't even have possibly thought of without actually doing it or working with somebody that has done right. it before um right. but even then that it's those situations are never the same and my maybe this is my scientific background but heather i think from your call center days, that's probably where that do it mentality, because the, that was the customer's expectation. How fast did you do it? That was 
the one competitive differentiator that you had in a very crowded market. And and, yeah. and I can speak for Toshiba. That's, that's where I got hardwired that way. I was running toner all around Rochester. I was telling Tyler, like the only reason I know Rochester is because I've probably delivered toner to a certain part of it. But, it, so, <laughs> but a copier goes down, the whole office goes down. So it's, yeah. uh, that's where I got that. that probably person. not anymore, but you see Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now that now they order for themselves, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, but that's that's kind of the scientific. That's why it's always like, just because one person was successful in one company, the the general assumption is they're going to be just as successful in my company, and that's the the from an experiment perspective that that doesn't work in experiment because it's yeah. got to be controlled. It's got to be all the same variables in order to say yes or no. Um, but that's this really isn't scientific. It's funny you you say that because when um. When I got contacted by Xerox to, to go over and, and interview to um, run inside sales for them. I mean, I was interviewing with people that had been with the company for 35 years, 40 years. Right? Yeah. And I got to the last interview and I really got a little worried, like, okay, if I join, is the host going to reject the transplant? Right? Because, <laughs> because they, it was such a culture of you you progress from within yeah. and to come in at an executive level from the outside. I'm like, is this going to work? Like could this yeah. be the biggest mistake I'm going to make? Um, <laughs> and it was the, my last interview. It was a guy that had only been there like six years. I said, okay, I, I'm going to ask the question because this is, this is just my observation. And, um, and I ended up taking the, the role. And I, I think what helped me there was also the whole communication piece, right? And um, but it was it was interest it was interesting because you trying to come into a culture that has been around for a hundred years and um, people that have been there for decades and try to insert yourself. There's we've seen people do that in really positive ways and people do that in really really awful ways, right? Oh, yeah. uh, Absolutely. And, yeah. and do you feel like communication, right? And, and I, I say I, I probably learned some of these skills when I was a waiter or a bartender or when my mom always made me talk to somebody as a kid. Like she never let me not talk to somebody if we saw them in a public place. Um, but great communication is the essence of the ease of communication, right? With the individual that you're speaking to. And I, I, how did you get on that level at Velocity? And maybe it's all these prior experiences that you've had as you worked your way up from a call center to know what that frontline employee experience looks like and how disconnected you feel to the, the big number, because ultimately you're not really sure how you impact that. How did you improve communication? Because I, I know it's probably the amount, right? And you've mentioned the bi-directional back and forth, but did you have to change how you were communicating? Um, and maybe the words that you were using or the the approach that you were taking email or town halls, like how did you improve communication? Because it costs businesses a lot of money. And I've found the only effective really way is translation based on the audience that you're speaking to. Yeah, I think I think that's a big piece of it is making sure you know your audience and what is really going to be important to them. What is it they want to hear? So Shortly after I started, we started doing monthly town hall meetings. They'd never been done. Um, and every, at the end of every town hall meeting, we sent out a survey saying, okay, tell us if the information you heard is the type of information you want to hear. 
And if not, what do you want to hear about? And we, we did that religiously every month so that we could start tailoring what we were communicating, the, the subjects we were communicating around what the employees really wanted to know. What was that feedback? What did that, what did they actually prioritize? It was, it was things like, Hey, we'd like to know what the, the pipeline is for the sales organization. Are there, are there new, new clients coming in that would then offer new job opportunities? That was probably the, the big one. They wanted to understand, okay, what's, how well are we doing as a company? And what does that look like over the next year, two years? Um, of course, there's always things about pay. You would yeah. say, wouldn't you say that's a CEO's dream? To have somebody do that, like oh yeah, but well then why don't we do? Why don't why doesn't it come more naturally to people? Like you going to the front line to say, okay, you do this every day. Tell me what you need in order to do your job better. Why doesn't that happen more naturally in leadership? I I think there there's a subset of leadership that are afraid to ask the question because they don't want to act, or, or they just or or they what if I don't know the answer to the question? Got it. Okay. okay. And I think that's that's something I, I can remember, and this was many years ago when I was a trainer, I was about to, I was down in Virginia and I was about to go in front of like 125 people the next morning. And I called my father, I said, I am scared to death. Like, what if I get asked something I don't know the answer to? And he said, then you say, you know what? That's a great question. Let me take that down and I will get back to you. And then you get back to him. That's uh, yeah. I learned that very early on in sales. Like, don't make that up because right. yeah, you're wrong. That's that's credibility you, and you trust loss. Completely lose your credibility in a nanosecond. Yeah. But but it was kind of like hearing having someone tell me it's okay to not know everything, but it's not okay to commit to get an answer and never get never follow through on it. Yeah, that's like the um, most simplistic way that you can put that is the, because. So many people want to have the answer that they'll just make up the answer. And nobody has all the answers. No. But I think there are leaders in, in companies today that are afraid to ask the question, go out and it's the vulnerability thing we talked yeah. about, right? They don't want to be vulnerable in those situations because they're afraid it's going to reflect poorly on them as a leader. When in fact, if you ask the question and you follow through, it makes you more effective as a leader. Yeah. Time. I promise I'm going to let you have it, but she's <laughs> brought it up. And she, the the question, right? Just like the comment card that you had for the feedback, how you ask the question really matters. And I think that's what people miss is that some of that emotional intelligence is how are you asking the question? Like tonality, but also word selection. And are you making it a safe question where the people honestly feel like they can respond? I say the same thing with employee engagement surveys. How many people have answered the same questions for the last 20 years? Like, does it really tell you how engaged an employee is? Um, and, and that's where I, you brought up questions. But how important have you found questions and how you ask those questions to actually get the qualitative data to factor into your decision making? Because I think that's, a, that's something that everybody needs help with. I think it it is that, but you just you just hit on something that I think is a really important point. Making creating a safe environment for people to be able to express their concerns, ask their questions, make their suggestions, because that 
with lack of um, lack of creating that safe environment, people will assume it is not. Yeah. And that, okay, if I make the suggestion, then it's going to come back and backfire on me because they're going to think I'm complaining. So, so I think that's almost, almost more important than the way you ask the question. I think the way you ask the question is, is you, you, you want to make sure you're not leading, you're not leading with a negative tone in the question. Um, so it, it, it is, you have to be really thoughtful about how you position the question, but I think equally or more important is making sure they feel it's safe. So absolutely. good example, we had an employee in this, what's on your, what's on your mind, come forward. And she came, she came forward anonymously and she had a real concern about this interaction she had with her supervisor. I could kind of figure out based on what what was said in what she submitted kind of narrowed it down to who I thought it was, right? So she happened to be working the building and on her way out one night, she passed my office and said, hey, you know, Jane, can you, can you come talk to me for a minute? And I just started, you know, created a, tried to create a very safe environment to say, hey, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I need to be able to fix this. Can you, this is something that came in today. Can you, can you shed any more light on this? I don't know if it came in from you or one of your, one of your peers, but can you give me any specifics? And that employee sat down with me for 20, 25 minutes and, and just talked about kind of what led to why she had submitted. And she admitted that she had submitted it, but it gave me the, the context to be able to actually go address the issue. But I think more importantly, she walked out of that interchange with, okay, it was a safe environment. I was able to express something that's been bothering me for months. And I trust that she's got my back. Heather's going to go do something about that. Um, So I think that safety is so important. But I, I agree in the safe space. Absolutely. But, yeah. but then you stating your intention, it, it reminds me of this book that I'm reading, Angelo. It's actually The Office and Michael Scott, after all of his ideas that he tries within this child's book, he ultimately turns back to the class and say, I want to be the world's best line leader. How do we how do we do that? And it's asking for help and it being vulnerable in that moment to ask for help because it's ultimately saying, I value your feedback and your insights and your experiences. And it's yeah. it, you sharing that story just brought me right back to that book. And it's just so funny because we have the answers. We're just not listening or we're not asking the right questions or we haven't created the right environment to ask those questions to your point. All right, Ty, yeah. I promised. <laughs> no, I was just going to add that, you know, there's something attractive. To, to not knowing everything, I think, you know, when you come out and do it, it feels so good. And when you see people do it, it's kind of like, good, thank goodness. Like, have you ever hung out with someone who knows everything? It's like, fact check those people in real time <laughs> ever before. Yeah. I I would love it, to. it definitely humanizes you with your organization. Right. And I, I can't remember if I shared this on the, on the panel, but this was first manager job and, and um, they did a 360 degree survey on everybody in management. So it's the first time I'm getting 
my my peers, my my bosses, my direct reports, right? And I get the results back. And of course, the tendency is always look at what the negative stuff was, right? That's mm -hmm. human nature. Um, and to something you said, Kevin, what I did is I ended up summarizing the feedback and I sat down with my direct reports and said, this is what you guys told me. This is the good, this is the not so good. Well, you know, I, I wanna talk through all of this to understand how, how do these things manifest themselves so I can either continue doing the good or stop doing the bad. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned is that, you know, this is, I'm gonna date myself, but this is back when we actually got mail in the mail, right? I just mailed something to Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I would be in my office and going through, you know, doing all this stuff and go through the mail and someone come in and ask me a question. And I thought I was superwoman. I could do all this stuff at the same time mm -hmm. while I'm answering your question. And I would answer your question. Well, when I got my survey back and we sat down and had this meeting, they said, you know what? When, when we come in to ask you a question, and we recognize you're you have the ability to do all these things at once. It doesn't feel like you're present in the moment. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel like what we're talking to you about is important. That was probably the single most humbling experience of, of my career, mm -hmm. but it's something that I remember to this day in That's every awesome. conversation I have. So that yeah. somebody comes in to talk to me, you know, the computer goes off. Drop everything. everything I drop everything and they have my undivided attention because they need to feel like what they have to say is the most important thing I have to listen to absolutely and it is it's just and it's eye contact right I'm yeah. big on eye contact and I know some people aren't comfortable making eye contact but that tells me that you are listening to me yeah. and hearing me and it's just fascinating to hear you say that because it's just it, it's it's that social proof right it's do I have your undivided? I've been in so many business meetings where the person has to take a call or takes a call or looks down yeah. and texts yeah. and reads an email. And it's just like, my time clearly isn't as valuable as your time is what that tells me. Um, that's fascinating to, to, yeah. to, to just yeah. even hear. Yeah. yeah. Now, one thing I did want to say too, is you said like humanizes as a CEO. So I started going down this mindset. Then does everybody that has typically chase the CEO position, they almost want to be superheroes or superhuman. Um, and they try not to be human and vulnerable and different. It, they, they act like they have no weaknesses. And that's another reason why I think Tyler and I started the show is that him and I've just felt like we weren't good enough to talk to a CEO for whatever reason. And and no fault to the some of the CEOs that we worked with, but there's that title shyness too, or it's, I'm not holy enough to talk to thy kind of mentality. But that to me is a shame on the CEO, not a shame on you, right? If if the, if the CEO isn't isn't going to create that environment where, you know, Tyler, you're passing the CEO in the in the parking lot at the end of the day, and you can have, hey, you know, have a great weekend. What are you doing? Then that's that's the CEO's responsibility to make that a, a comfortable situation. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, well, Heather, I was going to ask you, so so where, where do you, I guess, see yourself, I don't know, 10 years down the road? 10 years down the road, I'm going to be retired on a beach somewhere. 
What beach? <laughs> So I'm going to have a lake house or an ocean house somewhere. Somewhere <laughs> near the water. <laughs> somewhere where, where the snow starts flying here. <laughs> I can, right. And I can skedaddle down there. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to keep doing this. Uh, yeah, what I, what I tell everyone is I'm going to keep doing this until I stop having fun doing it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I get up every day and I'm still having a lot of fun doing this. So. Right. And I guess what what uh, what are you working on right now in in life? Like like to get better. I, I assume you you don't really settle much. Um, what, what's the biggest <laughs> What's the biggest challenge you have going on right now that you're you're overcoming? Uh, well, in in our business, so our business is we do we do customer service for other companies, right? We're an outsourcing company. Um, it's always about find, finding new clients. So I, I spend a lot of my time talking to prospective clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I I love doing because we we love talking about our our culture, but not only um, how that affects our employees, but how it supports our clients. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. companies that really focus on employee culture have higher retention. Absolutely, higher retention means better productivity, better service for the clients that we support. So it, it, it comes full, full circle and we absolutely believe that, but we, when we talk to a prospect, that's, that's what ends up resonating with them is that, that cultural alignment. And if we don't have the cultural alignment, if they don't really care about the experience their customers have when they call, we will tell them, you know what, this is not a good fit. Or they're probably going with the cheaper option. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're we're not going to take business for the sake of business because yeah. we are not going to take on jobs that our employees aren't going to be excited about getting up on Monday morning to come do. What a great place to be. I know, dude. Just close caption that. Just replay that around the office. Like so many people would just say, and, and it's interesting because she talked about the town halls, Tyler, and they really wanted to know about the pipeline. Like, why do you want to know about the pipeline? Future opportunities, future clients. I think that's just so fascinating to, that, it's, that now everybody, even if I am just that customer service representative for that one client currently, it's just they're so in tune with what you're doing as an organization. It feels like a team instead yep. of just individual sole contributors. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I told my team when I joined, you know, I, I want our guiding principle to be, we want our employees to say, thank God it's Monday, not thank God it's Friday. I love that. Because, you know, if you're, I'm a firm believer, if you're not, if you're not happy doing what you're doing every day, you need to, you need to change your line of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we spend way too much time at work, not being happy doing what we're doing. Absolutely. And I love just that daily intention that you have because the way that you're paying attention to your employees is not just the productivity of it's, well, what's standing in the way of your performance and your happiness. And and if there's something that I can do or we can change, let's be willing and agile and flexible. You guys are one of the only organizations that I know has truly embraced the fully remote environment. You have figured it out because you've realized that a majority of people prefer that that you can still handle performance. Your customer service um, and satisfaction scores don't start to dip dramatically, but you had to make changes to process. 
Um, but that full embrace, I, I, I just, you guys are leading the way if, when it comes to talent acquisition. Jobs are not open very long at Velocity because of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a, a real challenge, right? So co I joined Velocity during COVID, beginning of COVID. You know, then COVID started waning, so we brought everyone back to the office, and then it spiked again. We sent everyone home, and then we sat down around the table and said, okay, why are we doing this? It, <laughs> it's working. I think the biggest thing that we had to we had to solve was how do we make sure that our at-home employees feel as engaged from their home office as they would if they were coming into the office. And that was that was really the the big challenge because we want them to feel like they are part of a team. They're not sitting out on an island. Yeah. Um, and I would say for, from a recruiting standpoint, 99% of our candidates, that's the first thing they ask is, is this a remote position? So it's the re it's the reality of the post. You've just evolved quicker. Yeah. yeah it, it's amazing to me looking at some of the companies and even, even some of our clients that are looking at pulling everybody back in the office. But I think that we have to go back to that question that you said, why are we doing this? And, yes. and I think, some would come back to is I just invested in this brand new building that nobody's exactly come back to. Exactly. And yeah. This is a sunken cost at this expense. So they're willing to go to the next level, like consider that a wash because I guarantee your turnover is probably going to be far more it's significant and costly than what they're paying yeah. on that particular office yep. space. Exactly. Yeah. I love that you coming from a Xerox would a very traditional place, right? broke the tradition because you realized that was what was required in order to evolve and succeed in the market. It's yeah. just, I just, I, I'm fascinated to understand why you, myself and Tyler are some of the few people, and I'm not even a CEO that see that um, as really the way to evolve, but also stay relevant. Um, and undoubtedly your, your business is going to become more successful as more organizations realize, do I need customer service under my roof? Yeah. Should I continue to hire for these people? Or since that's my highest area of turnover, is somebody better at it than we are? Yeah, um, and, that, and those are the customers. Vulnerable yeah. to admit that they need help, right? At the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there, is, there are a lot of companies that are like, okay, if I, I can control it better if it's if, under if mine. Under, right. Um, but there, there are those that have realized, okay, you know what? We're, we're, really, we're really good at creating these widgets. Yeah. Maybe we're not so so good at this. So let's go partner with somebody who's really good at that. I think I think every department, including HR, marketing, right? It should be an internal competition. If you're not serving your internal clients and they're dissatisfied with how you're servicing them, I think that's how you get better internally. Um, yeah. Otherwise, then it could be an external function that they are performing at that better better yeah. rate. So, yeah, exactly. I know I could talk to you all day. Um, I I hear my screaming toddler downstairs with my wife, who's just <laughs> peeking over the hour mark, and she's probably got a little less hair. But um, thank you, Heather, for <laughs> just being one of the, the leaders that we read about. Well, this is what I read, and this is how I put it into practice. So thank you for that, because undoubtedly well, thank you're making you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Good. It was a fast hour. It was it fun, was. Heather. <laughs>